Uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and, and verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, uh, we, we learn something here that, it, 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 to me, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's, it's beyond the pale. It's beyond what we can do. Um, it, it really doesn't even make sense. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to look at it just to try to figure out what, what is God about in, in these verses. Uh, and, and here's what I want you, as we read these verses, just be thinking about, because there are a lot of things we, we could have said here, but, but go ahead and put up that next slide, my friend, thank you, uh, is we must imitate God in forgiveness because he forgave us. We must imitate God in forgiveness because he forgave us. Now, if God hadn't forgiven us, we wouldn't be under that obligation. But would, I know you just sat down and you just got your Bible open, but would you stand up with me? Just two verses, so you, it's up and down. And uh, if you can't stand, I understand. I know uh, might have a health reason, that's fine. But here's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, uh, your word is beyond our understanding and ourselves, so we need your spirit to open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your word. So Lord, do that for us right now. May that be all of our prayers and my prayer specifically is that the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth would be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my Savior and my Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You can, you can be seated. I want you to notice this word here. He says, be an imitator of God. I mean, has, I, I don't mean this, uh, some might think this is blasphemous or sacrilegious, but has God lost his mind? How can me, as a man, imitate God? I mean, my first problem is Adam's sin, right? I, I mean, God made Adam perfectly, but the first thing Adam did was mess up. And from that, even secular songwriters have written lyrics and songs, we've got to get back to the garden. Well, we can't get back to the garden. We are sinners, and the, and the fact is, you know, we, we kind of like to think of people and say, well, they're not all bad. No, no, they're not. But um, th- that would be like having something in the refrigerator and saying, well, there's some mold in it, but it's not all moldy. Now, my wife would tell you I'd probably cut off the moldy part and eat it anyway, but she won't. Okay. But, but. If it's bad, it's bad. One part makes it bad. That's what the Bible says. And James says, if we've offended in one part of the law, we've broken all the law. God doesn't take out little parts and say, well, you only stole a little bit, so therefore you're not a thief. No, if you stole a little bit, you're still a thief. You didn't cheat a little bit. You only cheated a little bit, so therefore you're not a cheater and a liar. No, if you cheat a little bit, you're a cheater and a liar. And, and when, we, when we try to soft pedal, we mess up, and we, just, we are all messed up. We, we've all failed. We all are in a place where we can't. And this word here, it says, be an imitator of God. That word is where we get our word, mimic. Uh, you know, I, I, some of you in here would get it. Um, but there used to be, a, a, if I said this, this isn't such a popular form of entertainment anymore. But how many of you remember Rich Little? I think that was his name. Yeah, he would imitate popular celebrities. And he, would, he could do their mannerisms and their voices. I guess Jim Carrey for a little bit younger crowd. I don't know if anybody today is doing it. But, but 
but, but that's what it means. It means to imitate them, do what they do, have their characteristics become part of your characteristics. Hold on. I thought that, you know, eating that apple, or it wasn't an apple, but eating that fruit in the garden so that they would become like God was sinful. We weren't supposed to do that. So I'm having a real problem with this verse. Because I can't imitate God. I can't mimic God. I can't be God. I can't create out of none. I can't do all this. What is he talking about? How in the world can I become a mimicker of God? Well, if you're having the same problem I am, you quit listening after the first phrase. Because it says, be an imitator of God as beloved children. We're supposed to be on the next slide. Go ahead. This was an absurd expectation, by the way, to imitate God. And, And I do want to say one thing. At the bottom there, it says an absolute command. Paul didn't say try to imitate God. He said be an imitator of God. Paul used this word in one other place over in Corinthians. He said be an imitator of me because I'm an imitator of Christ. He said mimic me because I mimic Christ. I do what Christ would do so you can imitate me. Now if you really get a hold of that, that will kind of help revolutionize your Christian life. Because Paul is kind of letting us know that that's how we ought to live. We ought to be able to walk up to a lost person or a brand new Christian. And they say, well, what do I do? Say, well, do what I do. Are, are, are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable telling a brand new Christian, just do what I do? In fact, we, we don't make a joke out of it. We say it pretty sincerely. We try to keep new Christians away from some more seasoned Christians because we don't want them to get spoiled by them. We don't want them to mess them up. Vance Havner, a great old Evangelist, he used to say, best, the best Christian's a new Christian, for too many old Christians get a hold of him. But that's the opposite of what Paul said to do. Paul said to imitate Christ here, uh, in, in Corinthians. And here he says, be a mimicker of God. And there's a great illustration about that, an absolute command to do that, from the life of Alexander the Great. Y'all probably know about him. At 33, he had conquered the world. But as he was doing that, one time they brought a young man to him who had deserted during battle. He had, he had taken off in fear and he had run away. And so, for whatever reason, instead of just killing him, Alexander had a little bit of compassion on him. And so he at least said, well, son, what is your name? And the kid looked at him, didn't want to answer. And he said, son, answer. And he said, my name is Alexander. And he said, either change your character or change your ways. Or change your name. Either change your ways or change your name. You see, when God calls us to himself, he changes our very character. We become a brand new creation. You see, I've already read it. The next phrase says, as beloved children. He brought us into his family. We become his children. He changes from that sinful nature to a God's, God's nature in us. From the old man to the new man. What I was in Adam died, Colossians 3.3. 3, and what I am in Christ, become, I become a brand new creature. becomes alive, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so go on the next slide. It's an impossible command, uh, but we have an ir- irreducible God. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll, I'll get to it at the end of that slide. But first of all, we are children. I've got three children. And uh, it, I guess I just like noticing things like this. But, but I noticed that, that they have characteristics that I had. My granddaughter, who was at our house last night, we were kind of babysitting. And, and I didn't, wasn't involved in this, but my wife was telling the kids when they came and got them that as she was taking her bath, she laid back in the water 
And our son-in-law was telling us, sometimes she'll do it till just her nose and mouth. Maybe your kids do that. I did that as a kid. I used to think it was so cool. And so she'll do it and then go, what? What? Like she can't hear them under the water. Say, get up, get out of the water. And we start noticing little things. Oh, she did that just like. And, and, and oh, they look just like so-and-so. They look like my, my sister. They look like our, her aunt. They look like, or they do this, or they act just like that. People look at my son all the time and they say, Oh man, he, he's just like you. Well, I don't think he is, but the way he acts, he is a lot of times. I, I grew up around my mom's family around Charleston, but my dad was from the upper part of the state in Spartanburg area, uh, which is why the bluegrass thing. But, uh, <clears throat> but one of my uncles died, and I was probably 20, 21 or so, and I went to this funeral, and I walked into the funeral home, and I had my, by the way, here's a trivia question for the day. What is my first name? It's not Stuart. It's Randolph. My daddy was Randolph Melrose. I'm Randolph Stewart. Stuart was my mother's maiden name. You don't care about all that, but I'm just explaining that. <laughs> my dad's dad had a brother named Randolph. So Randolph, my dad was Randolph, and now I'm Randolph. My sister, a visitor, a lady started coming to her church down in Charleston, and they got to talking and just, you know, and, and, and the girl... My, my sister asked her, well, where are you from? She said, well, we're actually from Bowling Springs. My, so she said, really? My, my dad's family's from Bowling Springs. And she said, well, what's your maiden name? And my sister said, well, actually, my maiden name's McCarter. And the girl out here said, that's my maiden name. And it was Uncle Randolph's granddaughter and Randolph's daughter were meeting, you know, years later. So anyway, I walked into the funeral home, and this guy walks up to me. He says, you're a McCarter. I said, excuse me? He said, you're a McCarter. What's your name? I said, Randolph McCarter. Because that's how they know me, you know. And he went, I knew it by the way you walked into this building. I don't know what I did. (laughs) But I was imitating my family because I'm a child of my father. You get that? But I've noticed something about children. Some things they inherit, but some things they catch. And some things we teach them. I really love it when a family's adopted a child and somebody says, they look just like you. (laughs) After a while, you know, just, it happens that they start catching things and we teach them things. You know, many of the lessons of my life I learned sitting on the bathroom counter with my dad shaving. Like the day you're born is the day you begin to die and every day you live is one day closer to your death. Now that's kind of heavy for a five-year-old, but... My dad had no filters like that. <laughs> but it's okay. I got it. It wasn't scary. And I began to understand, and he's right, I only have so many days to live. And to quote uh, Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. But, uh, but listen, David said, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. Right? So my dad was doing that because he, he read through his Bible all the time, read through it back and forth every year. He'd read through his Bible. And here it says, be an imitator of God. And children catch things. And, and here's why we can imitate God. Because number one, we're his children. Number two, because he claimed us. I'm proud to claim my children. I'll tell you all about them. Anything you want to hear? I don't know any negatives about them. They're all great, wonderful. Never did anything wrong. They're just perfect. No, not really. But isn't that how we talk about them? That's how God thinks about us. Because we're so good? No, but because he views us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When he looks at us, he looks at us through the filter of what Jesus paid for us. 
And so he claims us as his children. It says, be an imitator of God as beloved children and walk in love. That word walk in means like taking a road, taking a trip. That, that literally the Christian life in the Bible, we, we kind of miss it in our English translations. But it's following someone as they walk along a path, as they walk along a road. And, and we would use a better term and instead of asking people, are you saved or have you prayed the prayer? Are you a Christian? Ask them, do you follow Jesus? Because that's what it means to walk his path. Those, those uh, natives in, in uh, uh, South America that Nate Saint and Jim Elliott gave their life to reach. And, and Elizabeth Elliott, Nate Saint's wife, went in and were missionaries to them after they'd killed their husbands and discipled them. That is the very term they use for a Christian, one who walks Jesus' path. And so, if we're his children and he's claimed us, we ought to go with him, right? He is the one who goes with us on that path. He's the one that walks that path with us. And he loved us. He, he, and we walk in love. We walk a, a, a lifestyle of love because Christ loved us. And now we are consecrated to him and gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We've been consecrated by the blood of Christ. We've been set apart. We've been, that word holy means set apart. We, I, I'm using a, a synonym there, consecrated. But I, I think of that uh, because to be holy means to be separated. And, and when I was a kid, Roy Rogers was on TV Gene Autry, some of y'all don't know that. Some of you younger people may know an old guy uh, by the name of Clint Eastwood. Well, when he was a young guy, he was rowdy on Rawhide. And I used to watch those shows and they would cut a calf out of the herd and brand it with the brand. Guess what? That calf just became holy. Separated out and branded as belonging to this ranch. That's literally what that word means. You say, well, I thought God is holy. Yeah, because he is so separate from everything even though he created it. You see, all worldly religions, especially animism, God's in the trees. You know, there's the, if you're Norse, God, the God of thunder and all that. And, oh, God's in the, the, the river gods and the rock gods and the tree gods and the mountain gods and all that stuff. No, God is above and, be, and outside of nature. He created nature and his design is seen in nature, but God is not nature. Get it? And so he is so separate and holy. He is thrice holy. He's perfectly set apart from all of us. But now you're a believer. He's pulled you out of the herd and branded you for Christ. You say, okay, you're being a little dramatic. Really? Have you ever read Revelation? That they're going to get the mark of a beast either on their head or their hand. And if you don't get that, you can't buy or sell. But once Jesus returns, it's revealed that during that time, God had sealed his for redemption with a mark, but no man could see it. I'm just telling you, God's already branded you if you're his. And we've been consecrated, set apart. Why? Because he loves us. He has laid claim to us. He's claimed us as his own. And I said he's an irreducible God because he can love us without losing any part of himself. It didn't lessen God's ability to save us and to love us. Sometimes I think we think that we serve a limited God, that he can only do so much, but he can't go that far. Because we always think, oh, well, God, but no, he'll never save that guy. 
He'll never supply that amount of money. We just did Bible school. And I, I got to admit, you know, first night, Pastor Todd said, Pastor Cream need $3,000 to start a school in Turkey. I'm like, yeah, with, with, with a bunch of kids. I, that's, you know. And I know some parents helped. I get that. But in the week, we had more than $3,000. You see, I, I was saying God was limited. God is not limited. He is limitless. And it doesn't reduce him. He's irreducible. He can give and give and give without becoming less. All right, go on to the next slide for me there. Because what, y'all, what, what I want you to see is, is, there, is an imitatable condition. That's what I was trying to say there. I'm not sure if that's the right, if I even spelled that right. There's an, a thank you note for me in the bulletin. And I, I forgot to send it in. And I wrote it real fast. And I sent it in. And she copied and pasted it. And just make up whatever you want. Because the first part is not what I said. Okay. Not what I meant to say. It just it sounds funny. I just meant me and my extended family. But it came out my grandfather or something. I don't know. It's weird. But that's my fault. But... There is an imitatable condition. This, this, there's a command that's impossible. We've already seen that. But there is a God who is irreducible and a condition we can imitate. What is the imitatable thing? That Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice. Guy said, well, how can I give myself up for anyone? By dying to yourself. I mean, didn't Christ call us to die to ourselves and live to him? Isn't that the call? You cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And a cross is not an instrument of torture. Me, being, me suffering for Christ is not a cross. Me dying with Christ is the cost. And so when Christ died, I died with him. And when I understand that, then I can die to myself. You see, when we forgive someone else, does, there, there was a Christian song a year or two ago... And it said, forgiving is so hard because forgiving feels like losing. Like, you don't get to win, they win, and you just... Be, and, and here's why Christians have such trouble with forgiveness, even though we've been forgiven or called to forgive. is because we don't understand what forgiveness is. We think forgiveness means I will feel better after I forgive them. No, you won't. You'll feel worse. We think that once I forgive someone, I never remember the offense again. Oh, no, you'll remember it all the time. We think once we forgive... That then the other person will change and they will love me and they'll be sorry for what they did. No, they won't. They'll say, ha, I knew you were weak. And when you forgive, you pay the price yourself. But I'll tell you this, the price of not forgiving is even higher. Because the price of not forgiving is to, is to drink a poison hoping to kill someone else. Seriously. Here's what forgiveness means. It's not getting the revenge that's rightfully mine. Notice I said rightfully mine. If we were going by eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, we walk, walk around with a chip on our shoulder all the time, and you offend me, I'll offend you back. I mean, I'm a little guy, and I'm not a great fighter. And you know how young guys are. We're always wrestling and fighting and all that. And I figured out early on that if I don't hurt you early, you're going to beat me. So when a guy messed with me, I just hurt him. I mean, I would literally hurt them. Now, please don't take too much of that. That sounded horrible. I'm, I'm ashamed of saying that. But they go, what is wrong with you? I'd go, don't mess with me, man. <laughs> He's crazy. I hope you think so. Because <laughs> if you come at me twice, you're going to hurt me, and I don't want you to hurt me. And that's how we do, and that's what we think of in forgiveness. We want to strike, you know, we want to get our revenge. Somebody hits me, I'm going to hit them harder. 
I'm going to make sure. And forgiveness says, you know what? I'm going to leave that up to God. Now, that's talking personally. Somebody's attacking you. I'm going to go jump in and try to save you. Somebody's attacking my family. Same thing. Our country, same thing. That's self-defense, defending someone else. But when it's a personal thing, God calls us to turn the other cheek. I had a friend when I was young, and he used to be a fighter before God saved him. And he was playing basketball down at the, the you know, local gym place. It wasn't a Christian thing. It was just he went down there, a bunch of guys, pickup game. And this guy hit him, got mad at him, and boxed him. And the guy was a kind of new Christian, and he said... You know, I just got saved, and the Bible tells me to turn the other cheek. So the guy hit him on the other side. I mean, literally, this is not, I'm not making this up. And he looked at him and said, did you come to fight or to play basketball? And the guy said, fight. So he jumped on him and beat the fool out of him. And uh, for the glory of God. (laughs) Forgiveness means I will not get the revenge that's rightfully mine. I'm going to let God handle that. Which, after all, doesn't God know better? Doesn't God know what the motivation was for that person? You may be misjudging their motivation. You may be misjudging their action. They may not have even meant to do whatever it is you think they did. And when you put yourself in the place of God who knows all things and knows what right injustice really is, it'll slow you down from wanting revenge. But I'll tell you something slow you down even more. God forgave you for more that you did toward him than that person did toward you. Jesus tells a story of a guy that owed a guy, and I'll just put it in modern terms, $50,000. And the guy calls him in, and in their day, if you didn't pay your bill, you went to debtor's prison until it was paid. And the guy says, pay up. And he said, I can't pay up. I'm asking for mercy. He said, nope, you're going to debtor's prison. He said, please, 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 I promise I'll pay. Please don't throw me in jail. I got a family and all that. And so the guy had compassion. Not only did he say, okay, I won't throw you in prison. He said, you know what? I'm just going to eliminate the debt. You'll never be able to pay me back. So just forget it. You're free to go. So the guy leaves, man. He's just been released of a $50,000 debt. And he goes out and he sees the guy who owes him five bucks. And he runs up and says, give me the five bucks. He goes, I don't have five bucks. He goes, I'm going to throw you in prison. He goes, oh, please, i got a family. I'll, I'll pay you as soon as I can. He says, nope, too bad. And he throws him in prison for owing him five bucks. And he just got forgiven of 50000 bucks. And then the guy that he owed $50,000 to heard the story. And he went and found him. And he put him in prison anyway because he wouldn't forgive the one who had done less to him than he had done to that man. Friend, let me just tell you something. You owe God an unpayable debt. It's called death. You can pay it, but you only pay it once, and then you live with it for eternity in hell. You will eternally be dying in hell. You can't pay the debt. But what does it say here? He loved us. He made us his children because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as... A forgiven person, I'm called to forgive others. And forgiveness just means I'm not going to get revenge. It's rightfully mine. If you do me dirty, I'm just going to let it go and let God be our judge because I know that I've done worse than what you just did. And God forgave me. And I don't want God coming back on me. I want God to take care of you. And Jesus loved us enough to do that. We ought to love people Forgive them and show them God's grace. I mentioned Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, these two, two out of five men in South America in, in the 1950s. They went down there to be missionaries, and there was a tribe that had been abused by, uh, by the conquistadors and others through time. And so they were very wary about uh, white men. 
And, and they were scared of them. And so these missionaries started giving them gifts. And, and, and they figured out a way to get some stuff to them. And without getting too involved in the story. And then finally they had contacted them enough. They, showed, they, they flew a plane in and landed and, and got on this little sand island in the river. Hoping to make physical contact. And they, they had a radio and they could radio back and forth with a battery to their wives back at the base camp. And they said... Some women came out of the jungle. They had been able to communicate with them and sent word back. And some men were going to come that night. And they were asking their wives to pray for that. And that's the last thing they ever heard. And once the rescuers got there, the plane was torn up. They were all dead. Spears through them. Um, there's actual pictures of these men laying in the river. Spears through their bodies. Sometime later, the two women who had come to see them on the beach came to that base camp. Somehow found it. And they went to Elizabeth Elliot, Nate Saint's widow, and said, would you come and help us? What are you going to do? I'll tell you what those women did. Elizabeth Elliot with a two-year-old blonde-headed little daughter and a widow went and lived with the people who killed her husband, as did Nate Saint's wife. An entire people in South America came to Christ. Because those women were willing to not get revenge that was rightfully theirs. And the man that put the spear through Nate Saint's body a few years back was traveling with Nate Saint's son around America to talk about the difference the gospel makes. Friend, they just sang it. This earth's not my home. I'm just passing through. So it doesn't really matter how long I stay here. It really doesn't. But what matters is while I'm here, will I, like Christ forgave me, show the forgiveness of Christ in other people's lives and love them and give myself up for them? So it doesn't have to be about me. It has to be about the furtherance of the gospel. And just blessing people and helping other people come to know Christ. That'd be wonderful. Here's some stuff we could do. We could recognize our own fallen condition. And if you're sitting here today and you don't have a follower of Christ, today you could be saved. You could begin to follow Christ. Or if you are saved, you could get right with God and begin to walk in the Spirit. Galatians says, walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh is to get that revenge, to strike back, to, to get even. But if you walk in the Spirit, God's Spirit can work through you and remind you of the forgiveness of Christ in your life so you don't strike back, but you love back. Okay? So, but you've got to admit, first of all, I have a fallen condition. I can't imitate God. There's no way in myself I could imitate God. But I can imitate God now because I'm His child. And I'm His child at the cost of Jesus dying on the cross. And if Jesus died on the cross for me, I can certainly suffer some insult in this life. Can't I? For the sake of the gospel. Secondly, what we could do is know, claim, and live in the state of being God's child. I know that sounds like naming and claiming, but here's what I mean. In 1 John 3, it says, Beloved, we are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. In other words, you're already saved, but you don't look saved yet. I still have diabetes. I still have trouble focusing my eyes sometimes. My joints hurt on occasion. 
a lot more occasion than they used to. Muscles get sore when I do exercise or work hard because I'm still on this side of eternity. But I'm already God's child. I have a, I have a friend named Rick Stanley. And uh, his mom, I, I don't know if there, she had three sons and Rick was the middle one. And I don't know if, if there was a divorce or whatever, but she couldn't take care of the kids. So she put them in an orphanage in Newport News, Virginia. And went to do whatever. She, she, told, she promised them, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to come back and get you. And Rick tells a story of being in that orphanage and some abuses that happened and all to his brothers. And he said his little brother would really cry and he'd go and put his hand on him and say, Hey, listen, it's going to get better. I promise it will be better one day. Mom's coming back. Don't worry about it. Sure enough, one day, a drop-top Cadillac pulled up outside that orphanage. An older man driving it and his mom sitting in the passenger seat. She went in and got those boys Brought him out and said, I told you it would be better. This is your new dad, Vernon Presley. Get in the back seat. We're headed to Memphis. And he became Elvis Presley's stepbrother. He was in an orphanage waiting on his mom to come back. We're stuck on earth waiting on Jesus to come back. And we're being abused and used. And we feel abandoned. No, you're God's child. He hadn't abandoned you. He's coming. He's going to take care of you. Don't ever believe, don't doubt in the dark what was revealed in the light. Don't ever believe he isn't coming back for you. He's got you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Strongest promise in the Bible. And in fact, he hasn't left us. He is with us. I understand that illustration breaks down there. But I want you to get that picture. And when he comes, it's going to be better than you can imagine. I think Rick used to tell his brother that just hoping. But he said they showed up at the mansion and Elvis came out, opened the back door, and each boy had a pony, each boy had a bike, each boy had a swing set. So they didn't know what to do. So it was crazy. That's just how it worked from then on. You are God's child. Heaven is available to you. So don't worry about it. Just say, Lord, I know I'm your child, and one day you'll take care of all of this. In the meantime, let my life glorify you. Thirdly, what we can do is the second sermon, isn't it? Forgive the one who wrongs you. People come in Baptist churches and sit on either side of the bill, and I'm not saying people on either side have animosity toward the other side, but there are people that do that. Oh, they'll still come to church, but they'll do it so they can watch that other person and hate them, be mad at them. The Bible says, if you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness even till this day. I don't care what color our other brother or sister is. I don't care why you hate them. Hatred is of the devil and love is of God. Period. God has called me to love people I don't want to love. And the same thing for you. So what you got to do is forgive the one who wronged you. And love them to Jesus. Or love them back into relationship with Jesus. I don't know who that is for you today, but all, all forgiveness is, is giving up my right to revenge. Tomorrow you'll remember it and you'll want to be mad again, you've got to give it up again. You say, well, I forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Well, duh, you can't forget. God didn't make your brain to forget anything. You say, well, I forget where I left my keys. I get that. <laughs> but that's a failure to remember. It is not forgetfulness. 
If I could access your brain, I could find out where they are because your brain has stored that information. You just can't access it. And God made our brain so we don't... And so when we're stimulated, when we're reminded, we go, that's right, I'm mad at you, man. You ever done that? You ever forget you were supposed to be mad at your husband or wife? And like, oh, honey, did you say... Oh, never mind, I'm supposed to be mad at you. Because all of a sudden you remember that you were supposed to be mad. There are people who've been arguing for years. They forgot why they started the argument in the first place. Hatfields and McCoys come to mind. Why were they mad at each other? Well, I don't know. It's just, we're mad, so... Hey, forgive the person who wronged you. Your life will be better, I promise. Because they don't care. You're the only one that cares about it. And it's ruining your life, and they're just going on about their life. So forgive them. Let it go. Let the debt be paid by Christ, and don't worry about it. You understand? You with me? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Because God, who is a judge, is the judge who created everything out of nothing and had a perfect right to cast all of us into hell, forgave us our debt and saved us. It's not a wonder that anybody goes to hell. It's a wonder that anybody goes to heaven. But God loved us enough to die for us, and Jesus paid that price, and we should imitate God and forgive others.